0: Good News Ministries of GNN.org presents The Story in the Bible. Now, here is Terry Modica. When mankind chose to know good and evil, it was the death. When Satan said, You surely will not die, it was a lie because death did set in. Not the death that he tricked Eve into believing about, the death of morals, the death of friendship. And intimacy with God. The death of trust in God. All these things died when Eve believed the lies and forgot about who God had really been to her so far. The death of clear thinking. She allowed Satan to confuse her. The death of clear wholesome feelings. All these died when mankind chose to turn away from God's ways of doing things. This is what Jesus was going to have to restore later. And in between then and Jesus, Genesis and Jesus, God provided other ways, as we will discover, of how mankind could get this back, this trust back, this relationship with back, the morals back. Now, in the center of the garden, there was another key tree. Remember what that other tree was? The tree of Life. If Adam and Eve were still able to partake of this tree, the tree of life, the tree of eternity, it meant that they would forever, in their physical form, the way they were created, they would forever physically be trapped into these deaths that I just mentioned, the death of morals, the death of friendship with God, etc. If we could live eternally under those conditions... It would be a tremendous curse to us. We'd forever live unredeemed. Or we'd forever be living in the body. Even after the redemption of Jesus came, we'd be forever living in this corrupted body. So God said, in a way, let there be death. Let there be physical death so that they can be getting rid of living this life in the physical evil world so that they can live in eternity in all the goodness that's available all the goodness that is God so God took this tree of life this is in um, 322 down through the end of that chapter God chases Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they cannot have access to this tree and he posts angels at the gate so that they cannot get back in and get to this tree. It was an act of love, not denial. He was protecting us from living forever in the conditions that Adam and Eve were the moment after they sinned. Now, if you skip to the end of the story in Revelation chapter 22, the very end of the book, we're at the very beginning. Now, let's go to the very end. Chapter 22. The last chapter of the whole Bible. We're going to verse 14. Blessed are they who wash their robes, meaning what? What does washing the robes symbolize? Yeah. Baptism, being purified through the blood of Christ. So as to have the right to the tree of life and enter the city through its gates. At the very end. God gives us the right to come back to that tree that he banished us from in the garden, the garden of Eden. Because it is through the blood of Jesus that we are given that right. See, it all ties together. Then what happens in Genesis? Remember, they're aware of their nakedness and they're ashamed. God is the first one to make clothes for them. God is the first one to kill an animal to make clothes for them. For the man and his wife, the Lord, made leather garments... Where does leather come from? An animal. God had to kill an animal. It was the first animal sacrifice. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The first animal sacrifice, the first shedding of blood just took place here in order to give us a protection to wear. The shedding of blood for sacrifice is a key thing in atonement for our sins. And then, as you know, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the ultimate atonement for our sins. Initially, in God's perfect plan, no killing was necessary. It's a matter of, are we going to choose to do things God's way, or are we going to try to be like God? And when we try to be like God, it results in some form of killing. Maybe it's not the physical death that we cause of another human being, but every time we eat a hamburger... Our sinfulness, our being part of a world that has sin in it, involves the killing of animal. When we hurt somebody with our words, we're killing their spirit. Killing is, in one way or another, the result of sin. Somewhere, down the way, it results in the the death of an idea, the death of a dream, the death of even a human being, the death of our spirits. Low self-esteem comes from our spirits being killed over and over again. And God is saying, in the book of Revelation, God is saying that at the second coming of Christ, all will be restored back to the way it was before original sin entered the world. God's plan A, so to speak, God's plan A was for there to be no death, no physical death. We wouldn't need to have physical death because everything was wonderful in this physical world. When sin came in, God said, we got to do plan B. Okay, now we are going to real quickly cover Genesis chapters 5 through 11. The first thing that happens now outside the Garden of Eden is because we could no longer chat with God intimately, we're no longer walking in that paradise, that intimacy with God is lost, God has to start giving us formal rites, R I T E S, rites, by which to worship Him. It doesn't come naturally anymore. God's got to give us rituals to use. And in Genesis 4, verse 3, it says In the course of time, Cain, one of the children of Adam and Eve, brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil. God has established offer me sacrifices. This is how you can get rid of some of your pride to come closer to me. Then the next thing that happens, you remember what happens? Cain and Abel, they both offer their sacrifices. But Abel's sacrifice is better. It's more from the heart. It's more complete than what Cain did. Cain was just like, eh, I'll just give God the minimum and try to squeak by. And Abel was full of generosity because he really loved the Lord. Cain really didn't love God that much. He was just trying to get by. It was a ritual to him, not a love offering. God here is trying to teach us the difference between doing things by ritual and doing things because we love him. In church, do we genuflect by ritual or by love? Do we kneel during Mass out of ritual or because we love God? With our spouses and family, do we say, I love you, out of ritual Or do we really think it and feel it at the time that we're saying it? Because God loved Abel's sacrifice more than Cain's, because it was really coming from his love for God, Cain got jealous that God preferred Abel, so Cain kills Abel. Adam and Eve have another child. This child is called Seth. They've lost their best son. Cain has really gone off the deep end. They have another son named Seth. Seth and his descendants tried very hard to stay dependent on God and stay in that loving relationship with God. Seth had a descendant named Enoch who lived an exceptionally holy life. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Then Enoch walked with God and he was no longer here for God took him. What's happening here? It's the first what? assumption directly into heaven Mary wasn't the first one to do that Enoch was so holy and so in love with God he was no longer here for God took him Enoch also is a first role model for how the people should be how we should be in relationship with God and he foreshadowed Jesus in his holiness Jesus is foreshadowed by many, many people throughout the Old Testament. Except for this line of Seth and Enoch, the rest of the family, the generations that came from them, grew more and more evil. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, Every inclination of their thoughts was only evil, all of the time. Things were getting worse and worse so in Genesis 6 God says let's go back to square one this isn't working out I've only got one line one family line that is sticking close to me the rest of them are doing only evil all the time so let's start so all over again let's wipe out those people but that one line that is loving me will save will rescue And guess who was one of the descendants of Seth and Enoch? Noah. Noah was so holy and so prayerful and in such good communication with God that he could even hear God give him detailed instructions about how to build the ark and how to stock the ark. Now think about what Noah and his family had to go through being in that ark. How many days did it rain? Did they get out of the boat when the rain ended? Uh Uh-uh. It took 110 more days floating around aimlessly before they even hit ground. Then there was seven more months of waiting for the ground to dry off enough for them to step out. That's a long time being cooped up with your ever go on a family vacation and you're in the car together or in this cabin someplace together or this motel room. For one week, we can barely survive. They were together for 40 days plus 110 days plus 7 more months with all these smelly animals. When Noah's family finally debarked, the first thing that God asked of them, after showing them the lovely rainbow, the sign of the covenant, what does covenant mean? I am your God and you are my people. The first thing God asks is for Noah and his family to make a sacrifice of animals. The sacrifice was to give him thanks. By the way, the animals had been multiplying over that time, so they weren't Mm -hmm. ruining, they weren't causing any extinction of animals by sacrificing any of them. It was to give him thanks and to remind him, to remind the family, to remind mankind that sin always results in death and there's a penalty to be paid. But if we can pay the penalty through the sacrifice of something else, the shedding of another blood, God is saying, I can save you from sacrificing your own blood, from losing your own life. We'll use animals instead. It will count just the same. That's pretty loving. Now, God gives them with this new or this, this renewal of covenant, God gives more conditions for making this covenant work. As time goes by, more and more conditions need to be given to us so that we can understand how to do this. And by the way, this is in Genesis chapter 9, starting with verse 1. I'm just going to run through it real quick. God says, here's what you you must do and must not do in order to keep this covenant working. Don't eat animals that still have blood in them. That was the first time that was said. Treat other people well. And then back to the old ones who gave Adam and Eve. Be fertile and multiply and subdue the earth. So the list has just gotten longer. By the way, I'm sure you're aware that Noah lived like a gazillion years. And, and um, you know, people in the Old Testament lived like a thousand years or, you know, 500 years and stuff like that. A lot of times people want to know, did they really literally live that long? And some people say yes. Some so-called experts, I I trust that they are experts, say yes. But what the Catholic Church teaches, what I've I've seen in good, reliable commentaries, is that what's the point that's trying to be made? If you were to look at each person in the order that they are born in Scripture and put the age that they died at next to them, you'll notice that the further back to Adam they go, the longer amount of years they lived. The point that God is trying to show here is that they were more close to Adam. That they were closer to God, they were holier people for the most part, because they were closer to the Garden of Eden. And as time went on, we got more and more sinful. That's the point that's trying to be made by the numbers. Okay, now Noah and his family have set up their homes. The animals have all parted to go around wherever they were going to go around the world and multiply. One day, Noah gets drunk. This holy man gets weak and sins. And he falls asleep drunk. And his youngest son, Ham, is not the holiest of the sons. Ham comes into the tent, sees dad lying drunk, naked. And he says, Oh, great. This holy man's not so perfect after all. Brothers, come on, you gotta see this. Look at the fool. Look at—he's probably pretty wrinkly by now. Maybe he's put on some weight. Probably not a pretty sight. Probably something that Ham thought was really funny looking. And he's trying to get his brothers in on the humor. But they, as soon as the brothers realized what Ham was up to, they just covered. Their father. They just, you know, I'm not going to look at this. Let's just put a cover over them. This isn't right. By the way, that's in chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. When Noah comes out of his drunken stupor and finds out what happened, he cursed the line of Ham's son. Ham's family line, he put a curse on. Now, in those days, in in Jewish history, when a father put a curse on a son, the curse worked. You never wanted to get cursed. When the father blessed the son, and they, they would always do this before they died, they would put a blessing on the sons, and the favorite sons would get the best blessing. And as a son, you would make sure that you treated dad well so you'd get a good blessing before he died. Well, when Noah found out what Ham had done, he cursed Ham's family line. And the son that was cursed by this, the first son, was named Canaan. Now where else do we see that? The land of Canaan. When the Israelites go into the promised land as a people for the first time, they went into the land of Canaan. The Canaanite people lived there. Those were the descendants of Ham. The cursed ones. They were the first people to settle in that Palestine area. They were a wicked people. They worshipped other gods they spread out all the way to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the eldest son of Noah was the one who got the blessing, Shem. This is all important for for understanding the history of what we're going to be covering in the Old Testament, the history of the Israelites. Shem was the one that got the blessing and when Noah gave him the blessing, he predicted, or part of the blessing was that a deliverer for the people would come out of his line. The foreshadowing or the first prophecy given by a human voice of Jesus Christ. And from the name Shem is where we get the word Semites. The Semitic people, the Jewish people, are direct descendants from Shem, the Blessed One. And by the way, the word for Hebrew. The Hebrew word for Hebrew is Iberu. That's where we get the word Hebrew from. So there's some more history of words. One of Noah's sons was named Jephesh, and he became the father of the Gentiles. His family line produced the Gentiles that, you know, were the Greek descent and the Romans and all that, the ones who the, the Jewish people didn't like. Remember when Peter was evangelizing and he didn't want to evangelize the Gentiles and God said, go and evangelize them too. Jesus was for everybody. This is where the Gentiles come from. Now Ham, getting back to Ham, also, besides Canaan being his son, a family line coming from Ham produced King Nimrod. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Up until Nimrod... Clans were the groupings of people. They were clans. Ham and his family was a clan. Canaan and his family were a clan. And as the Canaan clan grew, the Canaanites grew in the size of their clan, they were a whole people, a whole group of people. Nimrod was the first one to come along and say, instead of us all being little individual clans, why don't we form ties where we're all bonded together into a kingdom where you still have your clan and you still have your clan but i want to be the ruler over all the clans Nimrod was the first king the first human king he said you all are my subjects all your individual clans belong to my kingdom because they all came from the same parents originally they all spoke the same language let me just tell you some of the characteristics of these people They invented astrology. They worshipped the gods of the sun, moon, and planets. These are the kingdom that Nimrod formed. And Nimrod had a special gift that God had given him of being a great hunter. He was well known for this gift. But he wasn't satisfied with that. Nimrod said, I want to be like God. I don't want to just be the greatest hunter. I don't want to be just the king of all the earth. I want to be like God. I want more. Now, who does this sound like? You know, there's Satan again. And by the way, among some of the chief cities of this first kingdom are Babylon and Nineveh. Remember Nineveh? So Nimrod says, I want to be like God. And I've got all these subjects who I can get in on this. Let's build a tower that gets so tall. We'll all work together, and we will build this tower so that I can climb up to God and be like him. It was a man-made effort to reach God. His mistake was, you don't need to do that. You just say, God, here I am, and God reaches us. We don't have to do anything to climb up. We just have to want, and God reaches down to us. But Nimrod said, uh-uh, I want to climb up to God. So he built this tower. And God said, wait a minute, pride is getting real out of hand here. I've got to intervene and do something. So remember what he did? He confused all their minds so that they all spoke a different language. They could no longer work together. They couldn't plan how to finish this this tower because they couldn't communicate anymore. And everybody found the little groupings of people who spoke the same language that they did. And they went off and they formed their own little kingdoms after that. The reason why we call this tower the Tower of Babel is because it's a pun. It's a play on words that God, in his sense of humor, deliberately picked out. First of all, the, the name Babel is where we get Babylon from. The name of Babylon means gateway to God. See what Nimrod's thinking was? He could make this gateway to God. But Babel also sounds like a pun on the word Belel which means confused and that's in Genesis 11 verse 9 everything that happened bad in the Old Testament God's got a cure for in the New Testament in the case of Babel where everybody ended up speaking a different language and they couldn't understand each other where in the New Testament do we have all the different languages coming together than they all hear They all hear one speaker, but they hear it in their own language. They understand him. Pentecost. Pentecost. And what God wanted to accomplish, aside from humbling them, he wanted to teach them that the way to stay unified, see, Nimrod had unified all these clans, but he was doing it a human, earthly way, worldly wisdom, and God was saying, to be unified, you've got to depend on me, not your language, not your common interests, not your ability to communicate with each other, but to be unified, depend on me. Everything that God is saying from here on in the Old Testament and into the New Testament is, depend on me. All the answers you need, all the solutions to the problems, all the cures for your sinfulness, the way out, is depend on me. The whole book of the Bible... The whole Bible itself, all the books of the Bible, is about how God is leading first the Israelites and then us into that relationship with him that's mature, that's holy, that's complete, so that we can then be ready for that glorified body we're going to receive at the second coming of Christ and the glorified world where we can again once more finally live In the world, without killing, without evil. You've been listening to Story in the Bible. For more faith builders or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit GNM.org today.